It's Green and Growing with Ashley Frasca. Plants, flowers, trees, and stuff. Brought to you by Pike Nurseries. On 95.5 WSB. Good Saturday morning together again. Welcome to Green and Growing. Nine minutes past six o'clock here with you for the next three hours and really looking forward to talking to you. I haven't had a lot of interaction with listeners this week. It was kind of a slow week in the traffic center. Not a lot of traffic troopers calling. So I look forward to hearing from you. This is your show on Saturday mornings, 404 872 Kind of laying out what's in store for you today. I'm going to be talking about mushrooms here in just a few minutes because I've gotten a lot of Facebook questions and emails from folks kind of aggravated with the mushrooms popping up in their landscapes. What you need to do, what causes them to just pop up in the lawn out of nowhere, um, and a fun group to join on Facebook. I always push you to Facebook because that's where I'm most interactive on the Green and Growing WSB Facebook page. But while you're looking that up and giving the page a like or a follow, you can find Mushroom Hunters of North Georgia. That's a group, and you have to ask to join it, but more than likely they will let you in. But uh, Mushroom Hunters of North Georgia is going to be really, really interesting just to help you identify, kind of get to know what's poisonous, what's not. There's not a lot that are poisonous. You always do need to be careful but I'm going to kind of give you some safety tips for that. Uh, Pests plaguing your tomatoes. There's two in particular that I've been asked most frequently about, so I'm going to offer you some help on that. And Jeff Roth and Rafael Santiago come along from Premier Tree Solutions. You know them as ChopMyTree.com. Those gentlemen will be in the studio with me at 7.30 to help answer any of your tree questions, whether it's transplanting one, moving one, tree health, Uh, pruning, anything like that. They will be here at 7.30. And Pike Nursery at 8.30, a long time from now, but it goes by quickly. They will be along to simplify summer fertilizing. And I knew that was the topic from Pike Nursery and Allison Smith today, fertilizing tips for gardens, lawns, houseplants, and pots. And wouldn't you know, I had a dream about fertilizing. It was really bizarre. Like as my alarm was going off and I was hitting my snooze, I was dreaming about being in a class and this lady was just very intense about fertilizing in July. So who knows? I mean, this this kind of rolls over into my personal life. It was destined. It must have been, Chris, because I have the weirdest dreams, especially when I'm worried about like hitting my snooze, thinking that I'm going to oversleep that. I think that's when the work dreams kick in, more or less trying to tell my body, like, get out of bed. Just a friendly <laughs> reminder every time when you've fallen asleep that it's like, no, you're not supposed to do this. Yeah, exactly. Your alarm goes off for a reason. Get up. So I've got Chris with me. I've got Anne. She's going to be your line of defense before you get to me. You're going to give her your name, the city you're calling from, and what you want to talk about today. 404-872-0750. And a reminder, too, uh, next week I'm going to be out. That's kind of a little secret, but I'm going to be out. But my show is going to be awesome. It's going to be all new content for you. And I hate to actually miss the weekend of the Great Georgia Pollinator Census. It is next Friday and Saturday. So obviously I won't be with you to really talk to you about it. But uh, I'm going to replay portions of the conversation I had, the hour-long talk we had last weekend with Becky Griffin, uh, pollinator coordinator and proud promoter and all of that from the University of Georgia Extension, just kind of to get you in the mindset next Saturday for how to participate. And though I am away, I have plans to do my count, my pollinator count. 15 minutes just sitting in front of a plant that attracts pollinators. Whether you see bee activity, the hummingbirds stop at it, butterflies land on it, that's the plant you want to plop down for 15 minutes in front of it. Have a coffee, have a sweet tea, something like that. And just write down the insects you think you see. And each time a bee visits it, even if you think it's the same bee, 
count the visits. Even if you think he leaves and comes back, still count the number of times every time you see an insect visit that plant. So that's going to be Friday and Saturday. If any of you are educators and you really kind of think you want to incorporate this into your lesson plans for next Friday the 19th, um, hit me up on Facebook or or send me a message on Twitter or something like that. I'll give you the resources there through Becky and the group's uh, website for the Great Georgia Pollinator Census. There are some great resources to throw into your lesson plans, um, some worksheets and things like that. And the website is ggapc.org. It stands for Great Georgia Pollinator Census, ggapc.org. And also for businesses, too. If any of you smaller businesses want to get your employees out of the office and get them away from the computer screens for 15 or 20 minutes, there's some resources there for you as well. Okay, so as promised... Talking about mushrooms, I did a lot of research. I'm surprised I didn't have a dream about this yesterday uh, because I was doing a lot of research yesterday evening, about an hour or two, uh, looking at mushrooms and trying to find some fun things to bring you about mushrooms. And my, you know, kind of where I landed on this, you don't need to do anything. If you have them in your yard, you're actually lucky. And I'm going to tell you why. When you see mushrooms blooming in the yard, it's because the fungi that have been living underground all along are responding to the changes in temperature, light, and water. And we're seeing that. The days are becoming slowly, you know, ever ever so slightly uh, a little bit shorter. But water, all of the rain and thunderstorms that come through, that really kind of energizes the fungi living underground. So typically under the right conditions, warm and moist, which is what we have now, they obtain the nutrients that allow them to grow and prepare to reproduce. So that's why you don't just see one, you see multiple. The resulting mushrooms, essentially fungal flowers, I mean, that's how it blooms, so to speak. Uh, It can release millions of microscopic spores into the air, which play a similar role to that of pollen for plants. That I didn't know. I knew about the spores, but just similar flying through the air like pollen does on plants. And fungi disperse into new areas due to those wind-blown spores, but a lot live underground, and they're there, whether you know it or not. So when the spores land in a suitable location, they develop into new fungi, which grow mushrooms given enough time and under these conditions, like we talked about, warm and moist, right? And uh, and as I was doing the research, popped my head in the kitchen, and I said, hey, John, what are mushroom scientists called? Do you know? And he's like, mushroomologist? I don't know. They're called mycologists. So see, that's something I learned, mycologists, and they do study uh, mushrooms. They've identified more than 10,000 species of mushrooms. So it's going to be next to impossible if you send me pictures of a mushroom and say, hey, Ashley, can you identify this? What's that? I'm not a mycologist. I don't know, but I will give you some good resources so that you can identify them. If you're worried about the pets, the kids, you know, them being toxic, that's probably a, a safe concern. Not all mushrooms are harmful. In fact, most are allies of your lawn. So this is why you don't really want to do anything. They act as decomposers in the fungi that feed on organic material in your yard, like thatch, like buried wood, tree roots that you may not even know are down there. You know, like if you someone had a stump ground and a tree taken down years and years ago, but the roots are still underground, that's kind of what they're feeding on. They're helping decompose that material, breaking it down into nutrients for grass and plants. So although they're unsightly, they don't damage your lawn or garden. So that's a good that's a good thing. And now here are some of the ones that you may see that are familiar to you. You just don't know the names. Uh, Death Angel or Destroying Angel. We'll start with that because that is by far one of the most toxic that are in this part of the country. So as the name is given. But 
Uh, symptoms show after about six hours, which is kind of the scary part of this one. A lot of this research was from um, the North Carolina Cooperative Extension. said a lot of people are lulled into this false sense of security because after six hours they or up to six hours, they feel fine. But you have to ingest it. That's where they become toxic. So uh, it can be found singly or in groups on the ground, mixed oak, hardwood forests. Uh, North America, Mexico, Landscape Company in Colorado has found a few in cultivated landscapes. But the mushroom cap can grow to about four inches across. It's white and smooth with a center that becomes kind of a dull tan with age as you look up underneath. And the gills are white up underneath the cap. They're totally white, which that kind of sets it apart from others. Uh, They're not attached to the stalk. So that's funny because most of those little spokes, those gills, go from the edge of the cap inward toward the stem, and they're not attached to the stalk, and the stalk is white. So kind of an all-white mushroom, four, five, six inches across, probably not going to be good. But they're not super, super common here. Some of the more uh, friendly ones, jack-o'-lantern mushroom. So this one is a dull orange, as you would imagine. It occurs in clusters near trees or stumps, most commonly found in a forest, sometimes in landscapes. But it appears as clusters, almost like a brain. It looks like a brain from when you step far back. 15 to 20 mushrooms, a dull orange, kind of all growing together at the base of maybe a living oak or stumps, buried wood. Poisonous if ingested, yes, but still fun to look at. Um, Another common one, too, false parasol or green gill. Parasol, obviously, given that the shape of a mushroom looks like an umbrella. Um, or green gill. So this is a very common one, and I've actually seen this in my yard here recently. A white umbrella with slightly raised bumps on the top that turn kind of a grayish brown. So it's not all white like that death angel is, but it's got grayish brown, tiny little bumps on the cap. Toxic if ingested, but not near as much so as death angel. This may just give you an upset stomach or you feel nauseous for a little bit. Uh, can be found in large or small groups or as part of a fairy ring. And a lot of you ask about that. Why are all these mushrooms in a circle in my yard? It could be a two-foot-wide circle. It could be a four-foot-wide circle. Fairy rings, that's like circular or semi-circular bands of grass in the lawn. The rings kind of grow around that. And they, you know, they may all be the same kind of mushroom. They may not. But all grasses are susceptible to having these fairy rings pop up. And they could be, I mean, they kind of just do their own thing, really. But a lot of the explanation as to why they grow in a circular pattern is because that's where a tree stump was at some point. So, again, they're kind of growing around the perimeter of where a tree stump was, and that's where the roots are still in ground. So when we come back, I'll tell you a few things that you need to do if it's just driving you crazy. And then we'll talk to Saeed in Lawrenceville as well. And I hope that you'll call 404-872-0750. It's Ashley Frasca on Green and Growing. You're listening to WSB. It's Scott Slate. Did you know you can listen to Green and Growing with Ashley Frasca on Saturday mornings on your smart speaker? And me too, weekday mornings. Just tell your smart speaker, play 95.5 WSB, and we're on. 95.5 WSB, Atlanta's news and talk. Here's Ashley. The weather update brought to you by Finley Roofing. Mostly sunny today. We may have a little bit of a chance for a break in the rain today and tomorrow. Highs in the mid to upper 80s. Lows starting to creep down. 70, 69, 68. Some mostly sunny skies with a chance of evening thunderstorms moving in on Monday. So I got to tell you a mushroom joke because I have friends texting me as I'm on the air. And this is Mickey Gasaway. Did you hear about the mushroom that walked into the bar? The bartender said, We don't serve toadstools in here. And the mushroom said, why not? I'm a fun guy.
<laughs> Thank yes. you for the laugh. Otherwise, that would have fallen on deaf ears, Chris. All right. And Anne's laughing in there, too. I see it. 404-872-0750. So uh, another few mushrooms that may be common that you see, uh, shelf or bracket fungus. Uh, those are the mushrooms that literally look like they're growing as a shelf, different layers kind of parallel to one another at the base of trees, of course, again, trying to, you know, really feed off of any decomposition that's going on. So I want to talk to Rafael Santiago later, arborist with uh, Premier Tree Solutions, because that may not be a good sign. Um, and lion's mane. Lion's mane is a big, puffy, icicle-looking white mushroom. And people, that is highly sought after. They say it takes tastes like lobster uh, if you prepare it right. So people can actually buy the starts of, of lion's mane mushrooms and try to grow them themselves. But anyway, so what you need to do, okay, since the fungi lives in the soil, it doesn't necessarily pop up until, until conditions are right, as we've talked about, warm and moist. There's not much you need to do. That actually, it's flattering. It means you have good organic material in your yard. So here's a couple of things. Maybe eliminate the shade. Um, but they're still going to, you know, be in the soil. Stop overwatering. You need to check your irrigation system if you are watering too much in addition to the rainfall. Uh, always recommended to aerate your lawn to increase the amount of oxygen that gets to your soil. That's eliminating the compacted soil where they'll also grow. Remove old stumps. Mushrooms feed off of the dead roots underground, as we talked about. Dethatch your lawn along with aeration. That's just a good practice in general. Run them over with a lawnmower. Give the kid a golf club and have him hit the mushrooms with the golf club or just wait for things to dry out a bit and they'll go away. I promise. 404-872-0750. Your calls and the top three things to do in the landscape coming up when we return on Green and Growing. Growing with Ashley Frasca. Plants, flowers, trees, and stuff. Brought to you by Pike Nurseries on 95.5 WSB. Back to green and growing and looking forward to your calls. 404-872-0750. So just leaving you with a couple of uh, final thoughts about mushrooms and we'll close the door on that topic. Um, If you're more interested in actually foraging for them, going out, trying to find them, Bring them home, see what you can cook, see what you can't. There's a wonderful field guide uh, that is a publication that you can purchase, Mushrooms of the Southeast. It's by Todd and Stephen. I don't know their last names, but uh, yeah, Mushrooms of the Southeast, little field guide you should take around with you. And also, there's a website, fungi.com, and that actually helps you grow your own mushrooms. You order them from these people. And they give you directions on how to grow them if you're looking to do lion's mane or something like that. And I don't know how it comes because I don't have any interest in growing mushrooms. I like eating them. I actually had them in my dinner last night. Uh, But I would not pay $69 to get a lion's mane grain master bag. $69. That's how much lion's mane mushrooms are sought after. So fungi.com is a good resource. This Mushrooms of the Southeast Field Guide a good resource as well. 404-872-0750. Saheed is up first in Lawrenceville. Good morning. Welcome to the show. Good morning. So what's going on? What's your question? Uh, my question is, I have two uh, small trees. One is a lemon tree. One other one is a orange tree. Yeah. Last, last year, they were kind of loaded with fruit. This year, I have nothing. And actually, they are growing in the way that, you know, 
Before they didn't have any thorns in them. Now the new branches that have uh, you know spring out have thorns. That's interesting. And how old are they? Probably at two years old. Okay, from what I understand, and this is this is good news for you. I know it may make us a little impatient, but it is good news. Uh, from what I understand from citrus, citrus trees, of course, you know, growing them in a pot is ideal, so you can bring them in and out and overwinter them. But the first three years is pretty critical just for it to establish, you know, growing and not really focus on producing a lot of fruit. So that first year, it may have just been super fertilized and fed from the nursery that you got it from and it just went nuts and now the second year that's kind of why it's going back into a lull but I think that's pretty normal so maybe by year three or four is when you really can let it focus on putting out the fruit Um, and some some growers even encourage like that first and second year when you see fruit to remove it and I know that kills us to do but that way the tree can focus more on you know growing what it needs to and using the energy elsewhere Um, and there's a good fertilization you know, regimen that you probably have to follow, Sahid, which you increase exponentially years one to two to three, the amount of citrus fertilizer you use just to give it that boost and help it establish. And what I understand, you know, thorns are common. There are so many growers now that are hybridizing citrus trees that are thornless, which is cool. Same with like blackberries and things like that, where they have these thornless varieties. But from what I understood, the younger ones are less likely to have the thorns, and then the more mature they get, they may put on the thorns, and that's just its self-defense mechanism. So, yeah, the fact that you are getting some, there may, you know, come to be more thorns, um, and that's going to make it a little hard for you to handle, but you can cut them off if you have really sharp pruners or a knife or something. If you remove thorns as they kind of pop up, it's not going to hurt the tree at all. Okay, so there is nothing to worry about. No, nope. you just must have a variety that when it was so immature, it just hadn't put on the thorns yet. And now that it does, that is pretty normal. But again, there are so many varieties that are that are out there now that are thornless. But uh, yeah, just be careful, <laughs> wear gloves. Now, have you had it outside? They are in the ground, yes. Oh, okay. Okay, good. You know, I've actually heard of people um, in Cobb County, Gwinnett, where you are, like Swanee, that have been successful with citrus trees, keeping them outside. And I think that's due to the the last few years here, our winters have been pretty mild. Um, so it's kind of a gamble to keep them outdoors because then all it's going to take is that one just devastatingly cold winter that may, you know, kill them back. But um, as long as you take the proper precaution and you're able to cover them and do what you need to do uh, to make sure that they can overwinter, I think that should be fine. I, I had covered them with the tarpaulin. Uh, in during the winter time. Good, good. Now, and, how tall is it now, though? How tall are the trees now? Oh, one of them is about uh, I would say six foot, seven foot tall. Wow. The other one is a smaller one. That is the lemon tree, which is like three foot. Okay, okay. But boy, this was loaded, and they are so delicious. Oh yeah. Uh, Do you have Meyer or Ponderosa lemon? Do you know which kind of lemon? Uh, I'm not even sure. You know, okay. Which one it is? But this is these are super tasty. Oh gosh, yeah. See, yeah. And, and it got you so excited that first year. You're like, yes, and then the second year, you're like, oh no, what have I done? I I think right. it's perfectly normal what happened. Do invest in some really good citrus fertilizer. When you talk to the folks over at Pike, just make sure you get the right stuff. And like I said, the applications really start to increase those first three or four years. Um, Actually, they, they are uh, at the you know the absorption field. I have a septic system, mm-hmm. septic tank system. Mm-hmm. 
So I think they're getting enough of fertilizer. Shoot, yeah, it could be. It absolutely could be. Um, and, uh, and anything that I grow in that that area, it just gets loaded and really, really, really good, big, good yeah. size uh, fruit. So that was everything. pretty strategic. Good, good. And yeah. I, I'm glad you said you have the coverings for them in the winter time. Um, on something shorter, like maybe the one that's three foot, or when people really want to protect some shrubs or bushes or something like that. When we cover stuff for the winter, it's very important for that cover to go all the way to the ground and then you somehow anchor it down at the ground be it with rocks or bricks or stakes or something like that and i know in your case with the citrus tree that's six feet tall it's a little bit harder to do but covering what you can and making sure those trees stay mulched it's like a blanket for the roots and that really keeps in a lot of the heat yeah i have actually built a like a frame around them oh wow even even this uh, six foot tall i have built a frame around it and I go up to the, the ground. I, I I I understand the the warmth of the ground will keep them, uh, you know, the temperature uh, uh, warmer than the, the outside. Yeah, that's even better when you have a when you've built a structure for it. Yeah, and you keep it protected from the wind and the frost and all that. Good job. That's great. Well, you're committed. Yeah. So yeah, talk to uh, talk to our friends at Pike Nursery. See if you need any kind of fertilizer. Don't stress about the thorns. And you keep going. You're doing right. Thank you so much. Oh, very good to hear from you. Thanks, Saeed. Thank you. Bye-bye. Have a good weekend. 404-872-0750. Another thing that we're kind of seeing some uh, some issues with right now, if you're still fortunate to have some of the tomato plants that are bearing fruit, yay, good for you. Uh, June, that really, really prolonged dry heat that we had in June, I I talk about it pretty much every Saturday because we're still seeing things this far down the road. Um, you know, leftover reactions, so to speak, from from that. But uh, a lot of our vegetables stalled out because of how hot and dry it was. A lot of you may have lost your tomato plants at that time. Um, mine are still doing okay, but man, going out there, checking your garden every day, every other day, I have found is very, very necessary. It's not that you just set it and forget it because... When I was out there just checking on the tomatoes, that are they're staying green for a while, and that's okay. They'll eventually ripen when when temperatures get right, but um, it needs to cool off a little bit at night for them to start really the ripening process to turn to red. But going out there, checking on them the other day, tomato hornworm, and so many of you lost your minds when I posted the pictures of that on the Facebook page. Another good reason to follow it. Search Green and Growing WSB. Um, I have heard all of you lament about tomato hornworms for years. I've never been personally affected, so I had sympathy for you, and now I have empathy because I've got them too. Um, and they look like an Alice in Wonderland type, very bizarre green caterpillar, and with a distinct little brown horn coming off the top of their head. It's not a stinger or anything like that, but just that's kind of actually how you can identify them a little bit more quickly because they camouflage with the tomato plants. They're almost the same green as the stems and the leaves, and they're going to be usually at a joint where a leaf is coming off of a stem, or you may find them up against the stem where it meets the the main stalk of the tomato bush. So I picked them off. I picked off three one day. I went back out there two days later, picked off another three, and I got them when they were still pretty immature. They weren't very plump and big, but they were definitely visible, quite obvious to me. Uh, So I picked them off, left them in a saucer, put the saucer up on the railing of the deck, and boy, I fed some birds. There were some happy birds to get a total of six tomato hornworms, and I kind of, you know... I got some sick satisfaction from that because I thought, I'll show you. That's what you get. Are tomatoes really hard? Is there like a is there is there something with tomatoes? Because my mom had a 
garden growing up that she planted a lot of like flowers and stuff in, yeah. but she always tried to grow tomatoes in them. And it always felt like a, a struggle for whatever reason. Oh, no. And maybe it's just we were in the Northeast, so we don't have the same climate. So That's maybe it. that has something to do with it. But the tomatoes would always be a, a just like a, a summer long challenge. That's that's really sad. No, here in Georgia and Florida, Chris, we have a lot easier time of it. They really like the hot, hot weather. And when it's dry and just hot like it was in June, they're perfect. They have a perfect flower, which means that yellow flower on a tomato pollinates itself. A tomato does not rely on a bee or anything to carry the pollen. So tomato plants can pollinate themselves. That's why you you could only do one if you wanted to. But generally, you know, gardeners grow multiple. Um, But so when the air is just really hot and dry and still, that pollen doesn't get moved around in the flower. So it'll put on all the flowers it wants if it's getting the right nutrition from the soil, it's getting the right amount of water. It'll put on the flowers, but then they don't become anything if the pollen's not moved around. So it's funny, all these old adages from gardeners talking about using um, an electric toothbrush and brushing it up against the flower to move the pollen around. Or uh, Walter used to talk about pipe cleaners Anything just to kind of get up there and tap that pollen around. That's very interesting. Isn't a it? DI, a DIY pollination you effect. ever see a lady with an electric toothbrush at her tomato plants, don't ask any questions because she's on to something. She knows what she's doing. But um, yeah, the tomato hornworms, that is one of the tomatoes' biggest enemies for sure. And when we come back, I'll share with you another one that you need to be on the lookout for that a couple of listeners have sent me pictures of going, what is this and why is it eating my tomatoes? So stay tuned. And the top three things to do in the landscape this weekend, you're listening to 95.5 WSB. It's Scott Slade, host of Atlanta's Morning News on 95.5 WSB. The news, weather, and traffic team will be here first thing Monday morning to help you get back to work on time and informed. Now back to Green and Growing with Ashley Frasca on 95.5 WSB, Atlanta's News and Talk. Update on the weekend weather brought to you by Finley Roofing. Mostly sunny today, a high around 86. And tomorrow, a carbon copy high of around 87. The complete forecast from Channel 2 meteorologist Brad Nitz comes up in 10 minutes. Green, green and growing. Ashley Frasca's top three things to do this weekend. All right. These are some good ones, I think. Uh, number one, summer pruning on wisteria. So leaving enough time for the vine to put out new leaves, but not enough time for it to grow rampantly. And you want to count the buds. I've never done this, but I can kind of envision what you do. Count six buds from the origination point of each whip. Make the cut just beyond that. Allow the vine to grow any way it wishes until the cold weather, and that's going to cause the leaves to drop. That's okay. And then do winter pruning on wisteria in January and February. Number two, now plant broccoli, collards, and kale. If you've never planted beets before, some good varieties for our region are Detroit Dark Red, Red Ace, and Ruby Queen. And number three, find local farms where you can pick blueberries, blackberries, figs, and tomatoes, And, you know, it's apple picking season coming up within maybe a month or so. So this is a great website, and it's probably one that I'll promote a lot more. Georgia-agritourism.org. So Georgia-agritourism.org. And on that website, you click Find a Farm, and it gives you some great ideas of where to pick apples in a month or so, where to pick blueberries, and we're kind of winding down on that and the tomatoes. But that's fantastic. Georgia grown, you're helping local farmers. So I love that idea. All right. So talking about tomatoes, the other thing other than tomato hornworm and what that guy does 
it almost you you almost think a deer has come up to the tomato plant and just bitten off the tips of the stems and bitten off the leaves, but it's actually this tomato hornworm doing it. I mean, you'll just see what was left, uh, just a nub of where a stem was or a branch was. These guys are voracious. They they work fast. Um, so that's the signs of a tomato hornworm. Don't blame it on the beer or the deer. And then another one. They're in the leaf-footed bug family, uh, like stink stink bugs. They're in the leaf-footed bug family. Um, so there are a couple of different varieties of them. Actually, there's hundreds of varieties of them. But stink bugs can be one. This other leaf-footed guy that Greg sent me a picture of on the Facebook page, uh, more of a black body, kind of looks like a beetle almost, with a horizontal white stripe across his back. But they have very distinct feet. Um, and they bore into the fruit. They'll actually stick their snouts into the tomato. So you see a perfect little hole and then they suck the juices out of the tomato. So that kind of ruins it. So any kind of stink bug that you've got a problem with on tomato plants, you can use spinosad or insecticidal soap uh, to really kind of knock those guys back. And for the tomato hornworm, I immediately ran to the garage, tried to see if I had any BT, Bacillus thuringiensis. Uh, that is a caterpillar treatment. BT is an organic. It's it's not going to affect you know you using it in the garden, uh, but it goes after caterpillars. And I think it's probably only effective in certain life stages of these tomato hornworms. But I didn't have any BT to spray, but I did have Garden Safe, some kind of organic. I don't even remember what it was. Uh, maybe it was insecticidal soap. Sprayed that on the tomato plants because it also said that would combat caterpillars. And then, of course, it rained three hours later. So, womp womp. I'm going to have to do it again. Or just go out there and pick them off by hand. 404-872-0750 is the number. More of your calls coming up. We have some good ones. We'll talk about the Great Georgia Pollinator Census and a warning about the Chattahoochee River. If you have plans to do anything in the river this weekend... You may want to listen to this up next, too. You're listening to Green and Growing. We'll be back for hour two on 95.5 WSB.